my name is Eric. Uh, I'm the lead pastor at Alpine Church in Riverdale. If you didn't know, Riverdale is a multi-site church. We've got six different locations, nine different campuses. Um, I'm glad to be here with you all today. Uh, I, I, I was the pastor here. I still live in Perry, and I was the pastor here for you know, almost five years, and I get to come up uh, every, every month to come and, and preach and be a part of my community that I live in, and so I'm glad to be here with you guys today. We have been in this series, um, and today we're in the fourth week of this series, but we've been in this series looking at the seven deadly sins, and it's kind of interesting because, you know, the seven deadly sins isn't necessarily a if you've heard of it before, like in movies or something, I remember a, a movie with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. What was that movie? Does anybody remember? The Seven. Yeah. Well, you shouldn't know that if you're a Christian because that movie's rated R. <laughs> that movie's rated R, but... Uh, <laughs> But, but yeah, like it's a, it's a concept that really isn't necessarily from the Bible, although we can find all of these sins in the Bible. It's kind of like a tradition actually passed down from the Catholic Church. Uh, they believed and wrote on these seven deadly sins, but we do believe that there are, there's more than seven. There's an exhaustive list of, you know, there's so many ways to, to think up uh, how to sin, you know, one of my favorite theologians says that we are like an idol-making factory. Our heart uh, dreams up new ways to sin all the time, millions and millions of sins. And the Bible does say that our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Who can understand it? The human heart has this problem, and it, it's, it's that it's full of, of these, these desires like pride. Pride is one of the biggest ones that says that we know better than God. We're smarter. We're going to go our own way. We're going to trust our own opinions. We're going to trust our own ideas rather than follow God's word because we were born with this propensity. Our nature in us is broken. We are born enemies of God. We're not born children of God. We're born uh, wanting to go our own way, and that is why we need Jesus. That is why we need him to forgive us, to change our hearts, to set us free. But yet we need to be aware of this, right? Like the gospel is often called the good news. That's what it means. Well, you can't really have good news without bad news, and the bad news is that we are utterly depraved, in our hearts. We can do some good. We can do good out there, but like it's usually tainted with selfishness. It's usually tainted with brokenness. And ultimately, we can't control how much evil we do, right? And so that's really, I wanted to say that to set up what we're going to be talking about today. Because if you were going to make your own list of bad sins in your life, I would guess that you probably wouldn't choose this one as one of the top, right? I mean, thinking about it, like our culture is built around eating and, and feasting and having meals, and, and we love it, right? And so we wouldn't put this at the top of the list. And I want you to understand something. It's, it's funny. I know it's a cruel thing to do, to have a gluttony sermon right after Thanksgiving. We should have did it before, actually, we should have did it the week before, but then you guys would have been so miserable, like just sitting at your tables with 
you know, just such small portions, right? But I, I, I want you to understand that feasting's okay. Having meals is okay. I mean, even having an, an abundance is okay. But gluttony is taking it beyond what is completely necessary. Going beyond to an obsession, that's the definition of it. It's an unhealthy obsession over food and drink. But I want you to not feel so guilty today. My goal is to not make you to feel so shameful and guilty today. I want you to understand that God gave us food. He gave us an abundance of food. He wants us to enjoy it. So I'm going to start off with a positive note. God gave us food for our enjoyment. He gave us food to enjoy, but there are boundaries to that. There are boundaries to that. But I do want you to think, if we look at some stories in the Bible, when Jesus did this miracle, famous miracle of feeding the 5,000, okay, he, he fed 5,000 men, including women and children, it was probably more like 20,000 people that he miraculously took this boy's lunch, which was five loaves of bread and two fishes, and he broke it, and he, and he out of compassion, fed this huge crowd that had come out. And his disciples were worried about this huge crowd that were there. They came out into the middle of nowhere and wanted to hear him preach. They wanted to hear him do uh, or see him do miracles. And, and they said, we've got to feed him. We've got to feed these people. They're going to be starving. And so God meets their need, right, through Jesus uh, doing a miracle of multiplying these loaves and fishes. But here's what it says in Matthew 14, 20 about that story. It says, they all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. So another translation says, they ate to their fill. They were full. Now, this reminds you probably of Thanksgiving. The, mo the funnest part of Thanksgiving is the leftovers. And I'll tell you a funny story. As it's not really that funny when you hear it, but I was sick all through November, Okay. I got COVID actually in, in the month of November. Don't worry, I'm fine now, I'm not contagious, you guys are gonna be fine, right? But um, I, I, I was like down for 13 days and I could barely eat. And, and I was like writing this sermon at the time or getting ready for this sermon. I, or actually I had already written, written it at this time but I was thinking through these things. And, and then after, you know, getting over COVID, it was the next week I got either food poisoning or like a stomach flu that had been going around all over the place. And then, it, and I couldn't eat again. And it was like God was saying, I'm getting you ready so you're not a hypocrite up there because Thanksgiving's coming and then you're going to have to preach this gluttony sermon. And so by the time Thanksgiving came, my stomach had shrank so much that I could only have really like one plate of food, and it wasn't as big. Normally at Thanksgiving, I fill up a plate like piled, and, and it's usually two times. That's just the, the savory food, and then I go to the sweets, and you know, I'm an addict. I'm a weird person that goes to the extreme on a lot of things, and food is one of them, but I do want you to understand through this first point, though, that that God gave us food for our enjoyment, and it's not a bad thing to be full and to feast, right? Jesus didn't just give them exactly the calories that they needed to expend for energy. He gave them more. He gave them a fullness, and there were leftovers, right? It shows that God doesn't 
he's, he's, he's a God of joy, right? He's a God of abundance, more than what we need. Blessing, that is how God is. And interestingly enough, the people in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the religious people, called Jesus a glutton himself. In Luke 7, 34, he says, you, the Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he eats, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax, tax collectors and sinners. And they said this about him because he was often seen eating and drinking with his, his friends, his disciples. He was, he was building relationships over food. And that is one of the, my favorite things to do as a pastor. One of my favorite things to do is to take people out to eat or have people over and just build relationships over food. And I want to tell you, if you don't have relationships here, or if you haven't quite built any relationships Ask somebody to lunch. Ask somebody over for dinner. Have a, have a small group or whatever and have a, have a little feast and do it over food because there's something as we follow the example of Jesus about being able to enjoy each other's company and love one another over food. It's funny, when you're eating, you can't hide all of your weird mannerisms, right? You're transparent when you're eating, okay? Like, uh, and, and if you ever get to the point where you're lethargic after eating. It's almost like you had a couple of drinks because you start to act a little wacky or whatever. Like you can't hide your true self after you've eaten, right? And 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 you know, you can't hide the fact that you're not as proper as you want everybody to think you are, you know, with the you know, nobody knows how to use the salad fork. I mean, I have never figured that out, right? I I mean, maybe some of you higher class people can figure that out, but but sitting at the table with different forks and knives and bowls and all this type of stuff, like, you, people find you out, you know, where you're at and your social status. And I think you should take people out to eat. Jesus did this to make disciples, right? Jesus did this to make disciples. Have people over for meals if you want to build a relationship, okay? So they thought that Jesus was because he did this. But we know Jesus was without sin, the Bible says. He was completely sinless. So this is not true that he was a glutton. And the problem is, is that we have this thing all mixed up, right? We, we, we look out there into the world or we judge ourselves or we judge other people thinking that because we enjoyed food that we're somehow sinning and that is not the case, right? But there are boundaries to this though. Some people, all of us, take it above and beyond sometimes. And it is very interesting to me that the very first sin that entered the world had to do with food. If we go right back to Genesis chapter 2 um, in the Garden of Eden, it says, But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you shall surely die. It's interesting to me that there was a forbidden fruit. God says, you can have everything in the garden, an abundance. Like I said, God wants you to have an abundance of things. Now, that doesn't mean that he wants you to be rich and have the biggest house and all the, the best stuff and all the awesome cars. It's just that, that he's saying that there's nothing wrong with having things, okay? But there's a, there's a limit to it when it starts to affect your heart, when you quit being generous, when you start being selfish, when it's all about you and how you can feel, right, and how much you can take in and, and grasp for yourselves. And there was a limit that God put on Adam and Eve, and he said, you can have all this stuff, 
But there's this one tree that is not yours, that you should not desire. But the problem was is that they desired above and beyond. They were obsessed over it, you know, kind of like a child when you say, you can't have that, you can't do that. They want to all of a sudden do it. It's like obsession, like I got to gotta play with the light socket, you know, right? And, and, and so what happens is, is they eat the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and sin enters the world. Our hearts are now broken. The, the, the result of sin is passed down to every human being in every generation, and now we're broken. We're broken from the inside out. Our relationship with God is broken. We are not right with God. We're selfish. We don't do things the way we were supposed to. We don't treat things the way they're supposed to be treated. We don't love people. We don't love God the way we're supposed to, and we don't treat food the way that we're supposed to. And that leads me to my second point, that gluttony then, when we misuse food and drink, it's this false pathway to comfort, using food and drink to satisfy a deeper craving in all of us. You see, because of that brokenness that we have, because of this stony, stubborn heart that we have, a heart that's not after God, we, we try to use everything out there in the world to try to fill it, including food and including drink. We try to satisfy a deep craving that we have, but that craving that we have is spiritual, and it can't be filled with physical things, with substances. And, and as a matter of fact, gluttony, people who are gluttons, they use food like an addict uses drugs. Drug addicts or alcoholics, they use food and drugs and drink to, to fill a void in their heart that only God can fill. And oftentimes that comes from trauma and pain, right? We're trying to escape. We want those feel-good feelings, and food can offer it, right? And drink can offer that. Alcohol can offer those for a moment and an escape. For a moment, you get this, this high from, from sugar or from, from good-tasting foods. For a moment, it gives you this little bit of release, and we're looking for that over and over and over again because our hearts are broken. And I want us to understand that food is not going to solve our problem. It's a, it's a chaotic cycle. Just like with addicts using drugs, it is not going to solve our problem. It's only going to make it worse and worse and worse, and we're going to become unhealthy. And whether we eat a lot or whether we eat too little, that, that you're still struggling with the sin of gluttony. Anorexia is not the solution to gluttony, not eating. We need to eat for, for, for our health, right? So anorexia is just the other, it's the opposite. It goes back to pride, it's vanity, right? All the models, all the people we look up to, all of the ads that we see of what we're supposed to look like, of what, what we want to look like, it's unrealistic. And, and that's just another result of a bad a poor self-image that we have of ourselves, trying to compare to the rest of the world, trying to be like others, trying to manipulate food. I don't know if you guys knew my story, but I've been into bodybuilding for a long time. And, 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 and it's interesting with some bodybuilders, like when I was heavy, heavy into it, I was doing competitions and stuff, and um, my problem was is that I was never big enough and I was never skinny enough. 
And, and it was because I was looking at all these magazines and watching all this bodybuilding stuff. And they actually call it like, uh, they call it body dysmorphia. That when you look in the mirror, you're never satisfied. And so I believe I got into it because at a young age, like I was a little bit heavier. I got made fun of by friends, you know. And so when I finally got into lifting and learning how to manipulate my diet and eat a ton of meat and, 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 and no carbs and diet down and all that stuff, like, I would get compliments everywhere. And those compliments, like, fed into this hole that I had, you know, from being hurt, from being traumatized, from being abused, from being broken. And so I, I went on to do that, and it was never good enough, and it was unhealthy. And eventually that led me into actually drug addiction as well, because I was never satisfied, and, and in that world, there were all kinds of other things going on, partying going on, and it fed deeper into what was wrong with my heart. I wanted attention. I wanted to escape pain that had happened in my life. I wanted to um, fill my heart, this void that I had, with substances, with chemicals, with things that I thought were going to help me feel better. But none of it worked because ultimately I was made to be a child of God. I was made to need him above all else. You know, so if we go back to that story about Jesus feeding the 5,000, a couple of days later, a day later, all the people come back and gather around him again, and they want more food. They want more bread. They want more miracles. And Jesus is like, don't you guys know? And he even had to say this to his disciples. Don't you guys know that it's not physical things that you need more than you need me? You need me above all else. And so Jesus actually calls himself, I am, I am what you need. I am this bread that you're so worried about getting, this manna from heaven. All of that was to point you to me. Here's what he says in, in John 6, 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer the world so the world may live, is my flesh. What Jesus is saying here is that you're so obsessed with all these things that you think you need that are going to be good for you, that you think you need that are going to fill that void in your life. You're so obsessed with all that. I am that thing that you need. I am that thing. I am that person that you ought to be obsessed with. I am that person that you ought to consume more than anything else in your life because it is through me that you can have life and have abundant life. And what he's really talking about is that believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins for the sacrifice of our sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he went there to take care of this sin problem and brokenness of our heart that we have. He did that and so that all who would believe in him could, could be forgiven and could be right with God and our hearts could be restored and then the Holy Spirit could come into our lives. Let me just say this. I want to go back to a point that I was making. The world is constantly throwing us the other direction. The world is constantly trying to tell us through ads, through, through all kinds of, you know, every sign we drive by, all the different marketing schemes that people do to try to get us to eat more and more. 
and more, the world is set up to make us gluttons. I mean, even if you think about it, like the, the mass-produced commodities and the food that we eat, um, because we've been so conditioned to have things super sweet, we want everything so sweet that they came up with a way to, to make sugar like 10 to 50 times stronger through um, high fructose corn syrup, right? You've heard that word before, right? It's an evil word, but it's in everything. It's, if you look at the nutrition facts of everything that you're eating, like from barbecue sauce to candy bars to drinks to everything, it is in there, and make no mistake, it's in there so that it will continue to give you that spike of, of, of dopamine or whatever happens when you consume that, so you will continue to come back and get more and more and more and more and more of it, right? We can't be so trusting of the world and its devices. We've got to be smart. We've got to think critically, right? God does want us to take care of our bodies, but this goes to then, as I've said before, food and drink, right? Even like things like coffee. I've had two and a half cups of coffee already. And by the third service, I'm not sure how many I would have had by then. But and I'm just admitting to you my weakness. I can, I can honestly say that I have addiction with food and with coffee. And, you know, sometimes it was, it was interesting, you know, the whole COVID thing. While I had it, my wife was saying that there's some kind of study that says, you know, uh, not to drink coffee during that time. I can't remember why. So I quit, and it sucked, you know. <laughs> it sucked really bad during that time. And, and also, uh, again, I think he was preparing me for something because oftentimes, this is how good God is, is when we're struggling with things because he's not sitting there telling us to try to be religious and follow all these steps to become right with God. But this is how good he is, is that if, if, if I don't have self-control and I can't do it, he's going to do it for me. And it's going to be through a, probably a tougher situation than what I really wanted to do. And so if I would just, you know, believe him at his word and train myself, uh, maybe, maybe, you know, Maybe I didn't have to get sick at that time. But you know what? I survived and we're good. And so hopefully my immune system is going to continue on to, to fight things out there the way God created it to. But I talk about coffee. Um, we do this with alcohol, right? We do this with wine and with beer and with hard liquor too. You know, you guys know that alcoholism is a huge deal in our country, in our world, and, and what do you hear people say when they're about to drink, right? It's, I deserve this, I need to relax, um, I just don't want to think about that anymore, it's going to make me more social, it's going to make me have more fun, you know, all these different things that we tell ourselves that a substance is going to do for our brokenness, right? We should be able to relax without things, you know, without substances. We should be able to have rest and joy in the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you know, Jesus drank with his disciples and he, he and I, and, and he made water into wine. And I, I sometimes am like, oh man, I shouldn't tell him that, but I got to tell you the truth. You know, that's the truth. But sometimes, you know, Christians are like, oh, pastor said it's good to drink. You know, if, if, if people in church, like, they'll, they'll take the things that they want to hear and they'll go, oh, but it's okay, I can do this because he said it from the stage. But 
I want you to understand everything ought to be in order and not in excess. Otherwise, it turns into drunkenness. And here's what Paul talks about in Ephesians, actually, 5.18. And he writes this letter to this church. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He is saying, don't think that you have to take in that substance, that thing that that people use as a, a medication to make themselves better mentally or emotionally because that will ruin your life. That way of thinking, if you treat it like that, that is going to ruin your life. What you ought to do is be filled with the Holy Spirit. What you need is the fruit of the Spirit. You don't need the fruit of the vine. You don't need the fruit, the forbidden fruit that talked about the, the obsessiveness of, of gluttony. What you need is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you have the fruit of the Spirit, this is what it looks like. Paul writes another letter to another church, and he says, the Holy Spirit produces this kinds of fruit in our lives. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. If we're consuming him, this is the fruit that comes out. Versus consuming all the other stuff, right, that we think that we need. We need to fill our hearts with Jesus. And we need to put food in its proper place. That's my last point. The antidote to gluttony then is both fasting and feasting. But we need to put food in the proper place of our lives. Now, As I said, like there was a little bit of fasting going on. God was doing something in me, preparing me, um, so that I could maybe, I don't know, maybe it was so that I could have, you know, a shrunken stomach because it had been so stretched out from, from, from eating more than what I need to. Whatever the case, I try to look at the positives of things that happen in my life. And fasting is a good thing. Not eating as much sometimes is a good thing. If something is starting to take control over your life and you're losing control and you continue to do it to, to fill that void that you have in your heart, you probably ought to stop doing it for a little while, right? You ought to test yourself to see, is this something that, is, that, is, that I'm addicted to? And Jesus shows us again um, how to train yourself and to prepare yourself and to fight against the temptation of food and overdoing it. It says, when Jesus got ready for ministry, after he was baptized, before he did anything else, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread... But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is showing us uh, the the spiritual discipline of, of, of fasting right here. How he's saying, you know, even when I am tempted, I can use God's word. I ought to use, as I said, we've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got to be filled with Jesus. And we've got to be filled with God's word to be able to combat the temptations. We've got to have the mind of Christ to think critically, to understand and to know that there is an enemy out there trying to get us. It's the world and it's the flesh and it's the devil. And we've got to be prepared and sometimes training ourselves 
through fasting can help with that, especially if you feel like you've given up control in your life. That's when, when, when alcoholics need to get sober, when people who take too much medication need to quit, right? When drug addicts need to get clean and when people need to get healthy and put food in the proper place, they, they, they take time off of it. Obviously, with food, you can't do it forever. That wouldn't be practical, right? There are things that you can cut out of your life for the rest of your life. Food's not one of them. So that's why I think this is so important that God wants us to understand how to put it in the proper place. Here's what Paul says about everything generally, but I want to apply it to food. He says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. And you know what he is saying here? He's saying, if you're a Christian, again, we don't follow the law to try to be right with God. We're made right with God by faith alone through trusting in Jesus and what he did on the cross. And so don't come to God trying to do all these things and steps that he'd be happy with you. So, so there is a sense in which I'm allowed to do anything. But not everything is good, right? It's not following the law, it's following the Spirit. I'm allowed to do a lot of things, and I'm going to be forgiven. Now, we shouldn't live that way. The Bible says don't use your grace as a, as a license to sin. We should grow in holiness. But I'm allowed to do a lot of things, and I'm not going to go to hell because of the grace of God. But he says, but you must not become a slave to anything. If you start being controlled by a substance in this world, like food or drink. He says, you should do something about that. As a Christian, you should not be controlled by anything but the Spirit of God, but God himself, by his word. His word ought to convict you on how to live. We should not be slaves to anything anymore, right? So that's the the self-discipline of, of learning what to do, to have the, the, the spirit of self-control, and, and you can use fasting. But as I said before, feasting is okay as well, right? Paul goes on in chapter 10. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Don't do it for yourself. Don't do it as a selfish desire or to try to fill this void because you're not allowing God. You're not feeding your spirit. You're not taking him in to your heart. Don't do it for that. Do it in thanksgiving, right? Eat and drink and be merry to the glory of God. Use what you have for his glory. Like I said before, eat and drink with your friends and talk about Jesus during that time and build relationships, right? Do it to the glory of God. There's nothing wrong with giving thanks and having an abundance and being blessed. I mean, we can't live like that all the time. Obviously, we've got to have some order in our lives. It's not Thanksgiving every day. That wouldn't be good. And honestly, the, the leftovers, as I said, it's fun, but it's also like, oh my gosh, this is daunting to try to get rid of all of this in my fridge. It's like every meal, I've got to keep eating this stuff to get rid of it, right? It can't be Thanksgiving every day, but feasting on occasions is a good thing. I believe God demonstrates that. And I want to share with you my last point. As I close, if you're struggling with this, there's hope. First, you have to admit that there's a problem, that I'm, I'm struggling, right? 
You've got to get out of denial. You've got to admit there's a problem. And then you've got to come to the point where you ask, how do I get out of this? And, and you, you learn the Bible and you start to understand that God is there to help you and to change you and to guide you. And then you've got to turn your will and your life over to God. You've got to surrender to God and his will for your life above your own desires. And that's really what it means to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. When you follow him, when you love him above all else, when you abstain from things that dishonor him, and you do the things that honor him, that is making Jesus our Lord and Savior. And one day, when we're gone from this world and we die, we will have something beyond what could even be imaginable. I used to actually think, you know, as I think about heaven, I used to think, um, I bet you heaven is like, there's going to just be tables and tables and tables filled with every kind of wonderful treat you could imagine, right? Just imagine like, you know, all your favorite desserts, and it would just be so full, right? But I really don't think that it's going to be like that. I don't think that my desire for excess and obsession for things is going to be as, as strong as it is, if it's going to be there at all, when I go to be with my Lord. Because I'm going to be so filled just by being in his presence, filled with his love, filled with him. The brokenness of sin and desire will be gone, and I will be with him and filled with him. And I won't have to struggle with these desires and the shame and the guilt. And you as well, if you are a believer and truster in Jesus. And so my last verse is this. In Revelation 19, 19, the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who, in, who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added these true words. These are the true words that come from God. There will be a feast. There will be a party. There will be joy and there will be abundance. But the thing that's more important than that is if you are invited to this wedding feast. And the way that you can be invited is by accepting the invitation that Jesus gave to us when he died on the cross for all of our sins, for the whole world, the Bible says. We have to accept this invitation and say, okay, Jesus, I have gone my own way. I need you. I want to follow you. I want to make you Lord and Savior of my life. Please help me with this. And if that's you here today, let's pray. I want to pray with you. And, and I want the whole church to pray as we ask him for his love and his mercy and his power. Father, Father, we come to you, Lord. So thankful for your truth and for your wisdom. We know, we profess that we are broken, that we take things uh, out of order and we, and we overdo things and we, we seek things other than you and we make idols out of things and, and we think that there are substances and, and, and food and, and drink out there and that's gonna solve our problem. That's gonna make me a better person. That's gonna heal my heart. And when we do that, we're putting those things above you. We ask you for forgiveness for that, God. And we ask you to forgive us and to give us the strength and the faith and the power to be able to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to believe 
that he died on the cross to set us free so that we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. Father, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and by that profession of faith, God, we know that we will be invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb in heaven to be with you, and we long for that day, but until that day comes, Lord Jesus, we ask for your Holy Spirit to give us self-control, to live for you, to honor you with everything that we have in our lives and our hearts, and we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.